and what we're going to study. You guys, in silent prayer, prepare yourself, and then afterwards we'll close out, I'll close it out, and then we'll get busy in the Word. Father, we come before your presence with thanksgiving and enter in your courts with praise. This day, Father, as we gather together and get ready to break open your word of life. And Father, we've praised you with song and we, we go to you in prayer and we, we praise you with the works that you've been doing through our prayers for others and folks, their lives have been changed. And so, Father, now... We humble ourselves before your throne. The most important thing in the world is your word. This was written long ago for us today. And so, Father, I pray that we remove everything from our hearts and our minds and our life and our prejudices. We open up our heart and mind to be filled with your truth. And why it's important that your truth is always taught and that we don't listen to false teachers and we don't listen to things that are not true. And Father, be with us and empower us now to understand your word, to love it, and to share it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 2 to start out. If you want to turn there today to follow along, 2 Peter chapter 2. Before we get going, I want to... I want to give you something I heard this week. There was a there was a guy who had got intoxicated, and he stumbled down by the lake. And as he did, there had been a revival going on, and the preacher was out in the water, and he was out there baptizing some folks. and And this guy stumbled right up into him, into the water, and next to him, and and so the preacher thinking that he was a candidate, said, Are you ready to find Jesus, brother? And he said, I guess so. And he grabs him and he dunks him under the water and pulls him up and says, Did you find Jesus? He said, I don't think so. Well, he never got that response, so the preacher thought the only thing I can do is dunk him again. So he grabs him and this time he holds him under for about 30 seconds and he pulls him up and says, Brother, now did you find Jesus? And he said, no, I don't think I did. Well, befuddled now, preacher grabs him and he holds him under until he's flapping his arms and kicking his legs and about ready to pass out. And he pulls him up again. He said, brother, did you find Jesus? And he's going, pff, pff, pff. no, are you sure this is where he fell in at? <laughs> so, anyway... Needed to lighten the load before we get going here. So, that's just like a preacher holding them underwater like that. Anyway, we've been talking the last few weeks, starting with chapter 1. We've been talking about the Word of God as our food. How that 
Peter said, you need to add all of these things to your life and you will not be barren. You will be fruitful. And then he goes on to say, though, that there are those who were carried by the Holy Spirit. And they were motivated and moved by Him to write the truth. But there were also false teachers that come around because a lot of folks don't like truth. And so he said there was false teachers that come into this world who want to make merchandise of you, who want to lead you astray. They want to be able to appease their own desires so the 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 satanic realm allows them to come up with cunningly devised fables that closely mimic but are not the truth and that lead astray. And they sound so good, though, as they deliver it. And this is what Peter tells us in verse 3 that's up there of chapter 2. With covetousness will they exploit you with deceptive words, fabricated words, these cunningly devised words and that word for fabricated there in that original language you know what that word is plastos sound familiar plastic why would fabricated words be plastos plastic well think about fabrication I was an injection molding operator for eight years at Johnson Controls in Franklin before I left and moved on to Lily's what you do is you take plastic in beads and you heat it up in this tube. And as the auger drives that down, it melts and plastic turns into a liquid form. And you know what you can do with that? You can mold it into anything, can't you? You can add colors to it. You can add scents to it. You can take it and mold it. Whatever that mold is, it will shape it into it whenever it injects it in there. You've got trinkets and toys that are plastic. You've got automobile pieces that are plastic. Everything because it can be fabricated into anything they want it to be. And so it's a great choice of words by the Holy Spirit that they with fabricated. What do you want to hear? I can give you a message that will appease you. I can form it into any type of thing. With fabricated words and false teaching, they lure you away. Have I told you yet God hates that? <laughs> he hates that because it, it leads His creation that was created in His image and His likeness, and given His breath of life, and it leads them on a trail of tears and death. And He says, I cannot stand those who fabricate and transform, melt down My Word, and then change it into something that they want it to be for their own good. The end of verse 3 says this. This is how God feels about it. For a long time, the false teachers... Their judgment is not idle, and their destruction does not slumber. You know, we look around and we think, how long is the Lord going to allow these kind of things to go on? Well, it's because Christ died for their sins as well. While He was hanging on the cross, He didn't just die for you and eyes. He died for everyone. You figure out the worst individual, and He bore that sin upon the cross. And He is long-suffering and waiting so that none should perish, but all have the chance to come to repentance. 
And so that is why it continues on because they are still motivated in their way, but God is still motivated in His way in patience and long-suffering, hoping that something will come along and change their thinking and bring them back into His fold. So, but the thing that the warning that goes out is this. Just because it doesn't look like God is operative at the moment, the judgment and the destruction is not idle or slumbering. He is waiting patiently as he did in the days of Noah. And that's what he's going to compare it to. He's going to say, for certainty, the judgment is set and certain. And I'm going to give you a couple of catastrophes that happened in the past that I set up as examples to prove to you that it's not going to slumber, that it will be a certainty if you continue doing what you're doing. And then he says this in verse 4. For if. That's a first class condition of an if. Did you know ifs have classes? Sometimes it's yes and certain. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's maybe. Depends upon how you react. If you do this, you will get that. That's third class condition. But first class condition of an if and it's always grammatically explained in the text. A first class condition means the if is saying, I did it and it's a certainty. And so God says there in verse 4, If God himself did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. I don't know about you, but that sounds disturbing to me. I do not want to face that. So I'm challenged to teach the truth. And folks are challenged to listen and follow truth so that they don't follow after that either. He says their judgment is compared to these angels who sinned and were cast into hell and delivered into chains of darkness reserved for the great day of judgment. And the thing is, We've got to figure out who he's talking about. Who are these angels that sinned and are cast into there that is set up as an example for us? The next verse gives us a clue. Verse 5 says this, And God, who did not spare the ancient world along with those angels that sinned, he did, though, save Noah at that time, one of eight, a preacher of what? Oh, help me out. Say that again. Righteous. Do you see the contrast between a false teacher and Noah? Between the judgment that was held of the ancient world, but who was brought through it safe? Teachers of falsehood, not so well. Noah, a preacher of righteousness, saved, spared. If God did not spare the ancient world along with those angels who sinned, but he did save Noah, the preacher of righteousness. We, let, let's figure out what's going on there. Turn to Genesis 6. My favorite book in the Bible, Genesis. Oh, there's so much. We spent the whole last winter on three chapters. <laughs> Genesis chapter 6. We're going to... Did you know... Did you ever think, we've, we've reduced Noah and the flood and the ark down to a Sunday school little thing 
of animals going two by two in a boat, haven't we? Did you realize, though, that the real thing there is the destruction that happened upon the entire creation, except for the eight that was in the ark and the two of each animal, except for the clean animals, which were seven. There's a reason why God did that to his creation. And it wasn't just because he wanted to. God loved his creation. But there is an angelic spiritual warfare, folks, that's going on behind the scenes that is so intense you cannot imagine it. Let's study the truth behind what happened in Genesis 6 if you're there with me. Verse 1, it came to pass, it happened, that when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, that daughters were born to them. And the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, yet he is indeed flesh, but his days will be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterwards when, tells you when, the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bore, if you will notice, if you've got a King James, New King James or on the board, the word children is in italics, right? Italics means it's not in the original language. It is something placed there by the interpreters so that it helps your process of thought flow, but it's not there. They didn't bear just children. It was a different kind of a living being. It was those giants that it just talked about before that. They bore to them those that were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. I want to stop here for a minute because we, we've got to figure this thing out. There's three groups of people being talked about here. Three. First of all, we've got to grasp this truth if we're going to understand the rest of what we're studying, not only in Genesis, but Peter back into there. So going forward, who are the sons of God? It's a particular, specific phrase that the Holy Spirit is being very precise whenever he puts it in here. In the original language, it's B'nai Ha, Elohim. And it means sons of the God. Ha is the definite article, the. We're talking about sons of the God in this story. In the first verse there, you have, it came to pass men, mankind, and men gender, like myself. Men were there, they began to have relationships with women, and they bore children, daughters unto them. They had daughters as happens. The son, so you got men and women, daughters. You got, you got the two genders that is there. Now all of a sudden though in verse 2, a third set is thrown in here. The sons of God saw these daughters of men. Do you see how that the Spirit is beginning to separate the two? That there's a distinction being made. That these daughters were born. They were beautiful. And the sons of God beheld them and desired them and took to them wives that they chose. And they began bearing unto them these mighty giant men. 
Well, what happened? Well, I want you to know that the sons of God is a specific term that represents angelic beings. Created beings, not beings who were born into this world through natural reproduction and childbirth like you and I were. These, when it's a son of the God, those are created beings, not born. They were created by God. This term is specific, and it's used three other times in the, in the Old Testament, and that's all. But those three times is going to explain to you and I just exactly who they are. And they're all in the book of Job. Job chapter 1, Job chapter 2, and Job chapter 38. And we're going to explore that right now. Job chapter 1 goes like this. Verse 6. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan was among them. So whoever these sons of God are, they're not of this world. They are able to be transported into the presence of God when He calls a convocation and be there in the third heaven in the realm of God and stand before Him. And Satan is among them and one of them. He was talking about Job whenever he called this convocation and Satan's there trying to accuse people like us. Before the Lord, the Lord said, But have you seen my servant Job? How that he is righteous in his ways. And the devil goes on to accuse him as he's standing there and says, But you've placed a hedge about him. You've given him blessings. Why wouldn't he serve you? But you let, him at, let me at him. And if I can get at him, I'll change him. And he'll no longer, he'll curse you. So we turn the page. Because the Lord allowed him to have reign upon the family, but not upon Job. You go to chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. See, same reference. This is not human beings. We're talking about created beings that are the sons of the God. Let me give you a third reference that goes even further. Job chapter 38. And I like this one. This is one of them that kind of scares the pants off of you a little bit whenever you read it in the entire text of the chapter because Job's been complaining about his situation and kind of questioning God. And God stands up and he all of a sudden appears to him out of a whirlwind. And he says, hey Job, gird yourself up like a man. Get ready. You're going to answer some questions for me. You've been complaining. You've been asking me some things you think I'm not doing right. Come on, let me, let me ask you some things and see if you know them. Where were you whenever I laid the foundations of this world? Who determined the measurements of how it is? Tell me if you have an understanding of these things. Who determined its measurements? Surely you would know who stretched the line upon it and made the circumference of it and shaped this world. To what? Is the earth's foundations fastened to? Who laid its cornerstone? But then look at verse 7. Were you there, Job, when the morning stars, as I did these things, before it was ever formed and created and made, were you there when the morning stars began singing and the sons of God shouted for joy 
as I was doing these things. Can't be a person, can it? Sons of God was there before this world was ever even founded, laid, and designed. They were there singing and shouting for joy when it happened. That's the other three things that tell you exactly who they are. They're the angelic beings that was there. The sons of God that were in existence before that. It's a specific phrase so that you know who they are. Now that we have a biblical reference of understanding who they are, now we go back to Genesis 6 and let's see what was really happening back in Genesis 6. You know what happens before Genesis 6? Genesis 5. <laughs> it's not a trick question. You know what Genesis 5 was? Genealogy. Chapter 5 goes from Adam to Noah. You know why? Because of chapter 3. Because in chapter 3, after the fall of man, and after they had taken that forbidden fruit, and man surely died as God promised that they would, spiritually first, and then later on, it would be physically. He read the riot act, starting with the man, the woman, then the serpent. And then he said this to the serpent. He said, The seed of woman is going to crush your head. You know what Satan decided? If I want to survive, if I don't want my head crushed, I've got to do what? Stop the seed of the woman. I've got to stop the seed of the woman from coming and delivering a Savior who is perfect in His ways and His genetic line of the seed of the woman so that He can go to the cross and die for the sins of the lost world that you did, Satan. And when he realized that his future hung upon the seed of the woman, he made an all-out attempt to stop that from happening so that he might be able to save himself and his demons. So... <clears throat> You immediately have the first murder in the next chapter as Cain does Abel. Then you have chapter 5, the genealogy that happens. You know why? Because God before the flood is letting you know that Noah is perfect in his genealogy in his generations. And that this isn't affecting him what we're getting ready to read. So now you're ready. Genesis chapter 6. Now let's get the real inside scoop. Verse 2. Sons of God, these angelic beings, saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves of all they chose. And bad things started happening. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is what? Flesh. You see, these offspring are half flesh, half angelic beings. And so, since they are also part flesh, God is saying, my spirit is not going to always strive like this and lose out to Satan that the genetic line be tampered with and perverted and unpure. So, I'm going to give 120 years for the preparing of the ark. And during that time, Noah's going to be a preacher of righteousness to try to convert those souls over that are half angelic but yet half human beings so he is flesh also his days shall be 120 years 
And there was the giants that was on the earth in those days and afterward. When? What produced them? When the sons of God came in unto, that's sexual relations, to the daughters of men, and they bore those giants to them. They were the mighty men. You ever wondered what the mythological things were written about that was the gods coming down and having relationships with men and you had Hercules and Achilles. It's based upon this right here. So they bore these to them. These were those mighty men of renown, men of old. The Lord saw that because of them the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every thought and every intent of them was nothing but evil continually in his heart. And the Lord was sorry that he had made men on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. So the Lord says, I am going to destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast and creeping things and birds. I am sorry that they were made. And then you got to love the butts of the Bible I've told you about in verse 8. But, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why did he find grace in the eyes of the Lord? Because here's the genealogy <laughs> of Noah. He was a just man and he was what? In his what? You see why we got the genealogy in chapter 5? There's an infiltration. Satan said to his demons, go down there, proliferate with mankind. If we can make the genetic line impure, Christ can't come and we don't go to hell. So that's what they did. It, was a, it went all through history. Exodus, why is Moses out there in his little basket? Because they're killing all the male Hebrews. Jesus is born. They came and said, I've seen a star. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? And what did Herod do? I'm going to kill all the male children. In two years and under. Why? Because we've got to stop the genealogy line of the seed of the woman that's going to bring the Savior of the world but condemn the demonic world. So, Noah is a just man. He's perfect in his generations. That's why we got chapter 5 that proves that. That's why chapter uh, 1 of Matthew and the book of Luke, what does it begin with? This is the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pure human genealogy from Adam to Jesus because there is a spiritual war that's being waged to try to stop the lineage, to try to stop Satan and his angels of demonic followers from going to the pit and to try to get as many of us as he can with plastic words draw there with him as well. But Noah was perfect in his genealogy and he walked with God. And he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was what before God? Okay. It was filled with violence and he looked upon it and indeed it was what? Corrupt. For all flesh, now look at how it's worded now. All flesh was what? That word means impure. All the rest of the flesh had gotten to a point during this 120 years of this activity of the fallen ones with the, son, the daughters of men that all flesh now was impure except for a very few. Noah was perfect 
in his genealogy. And the Lord said, they, all flesh is corrupt and had corrupted their way upon the earth. So the end of that flesh has come before me, and the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And so now you know the truth of the flood. It wasn't just a Sunday school Bible story of let's make a little boat and put animals two by two to keep the kids entertained. This is satanic warfare, folks, that we're talking about. And now it is intense and it's designed to destroy us as well. It was his ingenious plan to corrupt the seed line of the Savior. But let's give a little more support for it because I've always told you that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So let's look at three references. I like it coming in threes. Let's look at three references in the New Testament to support everything that we're learning right now. Let's go first to Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter in Jude, in the book of Jude, and it's right before Revelation. So if you go to the end, you hit Revelation, and you go back to Revelation 1, the page before that is Jude. And we get to Jude, and that first chapter, and I want you to listen to how Jude describes this event. But also, I want you to continue with our understanding that what our subject is today is those who do not teach the word of God in truth, and that their judgment is just as certain as this. That's the context. But listen now to verse 5 through 7 of Jude. He wants, and this is the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ who was converted after his death, burial, and resurrection, writing this. I want to remind you all of something. Though you once knew this, that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, that's back in the time of Moses, afterwards all those people were destroyed who did not believe. And the angels, here we go, the angels who did not keep their, what does your translation say? Domain? First estate? Okay, the angels... Who did not keep their first estate, their proper domain. The NLT says their limits of authority. Because the word there is arche, which means first chief place. The place that was commanded by God and appointed to be their domain, their chief place. They did not keep that place and they left their what? They left their own abode. Abode. Their habitation. The word for abode there is only used twice in the New Testament. Here and in 2 Corinthians 5 that I've got on the board. Let's let 2 Corinthians 5 tell us a little bit about this home or this abode, this habitation that the soul is in. It says this, We know that if our earthly house, this body, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house that's not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, and in this we groan. We are earnestly desiring to be clothed with our new habitation, our new house that this soul that is eternal is in. 
we are desiring to be clothed with the new habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been now clothed with it. So, so it's almost like there's clothing that we put on the body. It's also that way with the soul. The body is like clothing for the real you that goes over it. So he's, we who are in this tent groan. We're burdened about with cares and with, with things that happen and with sickness and all that goes on in this life. Not because we just want to be unclothed, but further clothed that this mortality might be swallowed up into immortality in life. So do you see that this word that is used is the word for the clothing of the real living soul being that's within the tent? Go back then to Jude. The angels who did not keep their first estate, their first domain of existence in the heavenly realm where they were appointed to be, nor did they keep their habitation. They left it. They became unclothed from what they were and was clothed into something that could come and have relationship with women so that they bore to them those giants that we just talked about. Then it goes on, verse 6. The angels did not keep their proper domain. They left their abode and they had that relationship with the women. And because they did that, it was something that they had been instructed not to do. And how do I know that? Because when we go back to Second Peter in a minute, it says, The angels who sinned. And to sin is to go beyond the mark that God has given you. The command of where you were. They disobeyed. They crossed the line. And they did what they had been told. And because they have done that, the verse goes on to say, He, God has reserved them in everlasting chains under darkness for them the similar to these and the cities around them in Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because they gave themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. When the angels crossed over and left their abode, and tried to corrupt the genetic line of men, they sinned. They crossed the domain that they were not supposed to go across from. And because of that, God said, I am putting a stop to this, and they are in chains of darkness, because that is strange flesh. The word uh, there is heteros, where you get like heterosexual. It was the same type thing. It is something that is not authorized by God. And the same thing it says was for Sodom and Gomorrah. That they are placed in this pit now. Terero. God is keeping a spiritual guard and watch over them. Reserved for the day of judgment. And it says they are in chains of darkness. Zophox. That word means an appalling, heavy darkness that can be felt. And not only felt, it is gloom. This is how it's described in the definition. A darkness so dense and foreboding it is felt. It is apocalyptic. It is gloomy darkness that brings indescribable despair in the nether world. And God has them there reserved in these chains of darkness. 
bound, waiting the judgment of the great day. Verse 7, why is this being referred to with Noah, the flood, these angels, and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? They are set forth, placed before us in the word of God as judgments of eternal fire to be set as examples, it says, of the vengeance of God to all who what? Do likewise. There's nothing but the truth being taught. That's why I said sometimes it's uncomfortable. But I've been challenged with having to do that. He says they are set forth. These sure judgments of the past are sure they are there. And they are an example, a pattern for false teachers who lead people astray. And the folks that will follow the plastic words instead of the truth. And not accept God. So now, when we go back to our text of Second Peter 2. And like I said, I teach all this in love because I got a lot of family and friends and loved ones who are in all of those things. And I try with all of my heart to pray and to teach. Because why... Is God waiting now? Remember when we talked about why the false teachers, it's, he's not just slumbering or sleeping. It's because he's long-suffering. It's because he's waiting that the people who are caught up in things we shouldn't, like I have been in my lifetime, in things that you shouldn't, waiting for them to see the truth and to come out. But you've got to let them know. You've got to let them know that it's there. Look, the false teachers, Peter said, they're going to come from among you in verses 1 and 2. They will speak with compassionate, soft words that seem to make sense and it sounds good and it's so convincing as these plastic words are molded around your feelings and what you want to hear. Many will follow their false way. But know this. The judgment is not idle and it doesn't slumber for God. 2 Peter chapter 2. If God did not spare them, the angels who sinned from judgment, but cast them down to hell, if he, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed into ashes and condemned them to destruction, to destruction now, now look at the next verse. Making them... An example, a monument to his righteousness. They are the pattern of what is coming to all who are false teachers and continue to lead people astray and say, don't listen to that old stuff. It is a pattern that is set for sure. And God says, no, for sure. These demonic fallen angels who disobeyed God and went after the strange flesh, they are set forth in the pit, held by chains as an example of what's going to happen to those who are leading people astray in this life. And the last words up there says in verse 9, that, or verse 6, making an example to those who live on God. That's not my words. That's the Holy Spirit of God. But now, to go past this, let's talk about some good news, okay? 
Because this has been pretty heavy, but I want to tell you that the reason God put this in here is so that we can come out from things and that we can know that we are loved and forgiven no matter what. And His grace is waiting on the other side. And He wants to show you that right now. Listen to this. He says also, He says, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations, but also hold them into their punishment. But before we do, I want to go to 1 Peter. We're in 2 Peter right now. If you're in your Bibles, turn to the left a couple of pages and go to 1 Peter chapter 3, because this is the third place that this angels and stuff is talked about in the New Testament that confirms what happened in the days of Noah. 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 18, and I've got the ESV version up there. Christ also suffered once for our sins. You see, they've been paid for. The righteous for the unrighteous, why? Salvation. That He might bring us to God, putting to death in the flesh, but He was made alive in the Spirit. Now catch this. In which, in the Spirit, once He was resurrected and alive after paying our penalty, in that Spirit of resurrection, He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Who are they? Well, we've just been talking about them, but He's going to reference it again to make sure we understand. Verse 20. Those that are in prison because they formerly did not obey. Didn't I tell you it was a disobedience? They did not obey when God's patience waited. When? In the days of Noah. While the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water of the flood that came. Verse 21. Baptism then, which corresponds to that, now saves you. Not as a bath or the removal of the dirt from the body. But it's your appeal to God through a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who has gone into heaven. He's at the right hand of God. With angels, authorities and powers subjected to him. Wow. So as our worship team comes on up. And we close this out for today. That's. Spiritual warfare and that battle was hot, heated, intense, and we have no idea. It was so intense that God had to send His only begotten born Son into this world to die for all of the sins of mankind so that we have hope through Him and we are saved through Him and through that. And that is the good news of the gospel. And the first thing he did when he sacrificed himself and went through that and went to the cross, when he was resurrected, it said the first thing that he did was went and made a proclamation, a declaration to those spirits that tried to corrupt the lineage in the days of Noah. And he made a proclamation to him that you failed. The seed line went on. It's written in Matthew 1 if you want to go look in Luke 3. It's written. I made it. And I went to the cross and I died. And it sealed the doom. And through me 
people can be saved and have eternal life. No matter where you come from and what you've been. While Noah was preaching for 120 years. And Lot was trying to convince those people not to take those angels that night at his house. He was giving people a chance to change their minds and to live for God. Because God is gracious and he doesn't want you led astray by these plastic words and the false teachers. Your plan to destroy humanity failed, he said to those in the prison. I came through Mary and you can read about it. And I made it to the cross and I paved the way. And just as Noah and his family were saved by grace through faith and obeying the word of God, so shall we. Verse 21, it corresponds to the same thing. They were saved through the destruction through the water in the ark by obeying and believing. And that's what we do. The, the body of Christ is the same thing as the ark. It's going to bring you through the destruction that's going to be at the end. It now saves you. So as we get ready to close. I, I pray that no one makes the same mistake as all those in the past. Like in the days of Noah who didn't believe and who, who didn't want to listen. But they continued to listen to the plastic words. You know for 120 years Noah was the laughing stock. While that ark was a preparing. Today the word of God is a laughing stock out there if you really look at it. But it's not. It's the truth. And God wants you to be set free. Aren't you glad that it said that the Lord. You see the same thing that came in the time of Noah. That Noah was saved by believing and following Lot was drug out of Sodom and Gomorrah because he was a believer in God. It says in verse 9 of 2 Peter 2 that the Lord knows how to save those who want to follow him and how to reserve those who don't want to follow him. Aren't you glad he knows how to save you and to reserve you? And to bring you through. And that's the good news. And next week I want to give you more good news. Upon all of that. Because you know what? When it says in Genesis. That the Lord preserved Noah. I want you to think about this. He didn't remove him. From all that was going on in the world did he? And he didn't remove him from all that. But he protected him. Before the flood for 120 years from the violence and the wickedness that filled the land. He took care of him during the flood that was the judgment and the destruction of everyone else. And afterwards he prepared a new world for him and his children who were followers. The Lord knows how to take care of you in this world. As you depart this world and into the next world. He knows how to take care of you who will give yourself to him. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the truth of your word. And it's so easy today to get led astray because there's so many false teachings and so many things that would say that it is wrong to think like your word. 
And for whatever reason, you've, you've made it this way. It's your design and your plan, and you just asked us to follow it and to believe and trust. Just to trust you. Because you know what's best. And so, Father, we do. Each and every one of us, I know, reaches out to you today. Thankful for your son going to the cross. Thankful that your spirit resides in us now. Thank you that you will protect us in and through and into the next. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.